I want, I want, I want me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. You know you're responsible for what you hear. You know you're responsible for what you hear. Greetings and welcome to Thoughts from Meharry Head, the weekly podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, but mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 28 of Thoughts from Meharry Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to talk about the limits of presidential powers. Well, I hope everybody had a fantastic holiday season. I definitely did. I took a couple of weeks off for Christmas and New Year's, as you've probably figured out by now. It was a much-needed break, but I'm really happy to be back behind the microphone. So today, I want to talk about the limits on executive power. Now, contrary to what the president would have us believe, there are constitutional limits on what he can and cannot do. Of course, from the president's perspective, those limits are only theoretical. In the real world, he can do what he damn well pleases. As Obama has reminded us on numerous occasions, I am the president. I don't mean to just pick on Obama, though. All of the presidents have issued executive orders and essentially legislated from the Oval Office. George W. Bush was notorious for issuing EOs. In fact, Obama complained about it when he was running for president. Listen to what he said. Quote, I taught constitutional law for 10 years. I take the Constitution very seriously. The biggest problems that we're facing right now have to do with George Bush trying to bring more and more power into the executive branch and not go through Congress at all. And that's what I intend to reverse when I'm president of the United States of America. End quote. I I apologize for my awful Obama fake voice. I can't really do it, but you get the idea. So this is the same guy that told us he's not going to wait for legislation because, quote, I've got a pen and I've got a phone and I can use that pen to sign executive orders and take executive actions and administrative actions that move the ball forward, unquote. So a few days ago, Obama trotted out his new executive orders on guns and he cried. I guess he was trying to look sensitive and convince us that he really cares, but seriously, dude, don't fake cry. This is the guy who authorizes drone strikes that kill hundreds of innocent civilians, including women and children. It's a little hard to take his sudden crocodile tears of compassion very seriously. But I digress. Anyway, some of the orders that he issued are perfectly legit. Hiring new ATF agents is arguably an executive function. Of course, Congress doesn't have to fund them, but the president can certainly start the hiring process. On a side note, isn't it a little bit ironic that a big part of the president's solution to gun violence is hiring 200 people and giving them guns? 
Yeah. Anyway, new ATF agents aside, a lot of these most recent orders are blatantly unconstitutional. Judge Napolitano did a nice job summarizing the specific constitutional issues with several of the specific orders. I'll link to that article in the show notes. Here's what people really need to understand. Whether you're for gun control or not, these presidential actions should concern you. The lefties that are all excited about the president taking decisive action when Congress won't do its job need to remember that their hero is setting precedents for a Trump presidency. This is the perfect time to step back and take a serious look at the actual constitutional powers of the president. Article 2 of the Constitution defines the roles and qualifications and responsibilities of the president. As it does for Congress, the Constitution delegates specific powers and responsibilities to the executive branch. The power of appointment, the power to make treaties with advice and consent of Congress, veto power, things like that. These specific powers are pretty clear and unambiguous. But a question remains. Does the president enjoy other non-specified powers as chief executive? There is a lot of debate about the so-called vesting clause. I'm not going to go into depth with that here. It's a bit technical, but I'll link to my Constitution 101 article on executive power, and you can read about it there. But in a nutshell, within the constitutional structure, the president lacks any authority whatsoever to issue edicts, write rules and regulations, or legislate in any manner. In an essay known as Helvidius No. 1, James Madison clearly states the president's powers extend only to putting existing law into effect. Quote, The natural province of the executive magistrate is to execute laws, as that of the legislature is to make laws. All his acts, therefore, properly executive, must presuppose the existence of the laws to be executed. End quote. For a more general perspective, it's clear the founders would have never allowed the president to have a broad grant of undefined power. This runs completely counter to the spirit of the Constitution. As James Madison put it in Federalist 45, the powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. This goes for Congress, this goes for the courts, and this goes for the president. The British colonial governors ruled with just the kind of power a lot of people think presidents should have today. The founding generation wasn't going to have any more of that. As the states began drafting their own constitutions in 1776, they placed very little power in the executive branches. In his book, Creation of the American Republic, historian Gordon S. Wood put it this way, Quote, the Americans, in short, made of the gubernatorial magistrate a new kind of creature, a very pale reflection indeed of his regal ancestor. The change in the governor's position meant that effectual elimination of the magistrate's major responsibility for ruling the society, a remarkable and abrupt departure from the English constitutional tradition. Americans loathed the arbitrary power exercised by the magistrates under British rule. And as Wood put it, quote, only a radical destruction of that kind of magisterial authority could prevent the resurgence of arbitrary power in their land, end quote. John Sullivan served as a general in the American Revolution and later as governor of New Hampshire and a federal judge. 
He took a break from fighting in the winter of 1775 to pen a letter that outlined his thoughts on forming a new state government. He warned against vesting too much power in a single person. Listen to what he said. And here I must beg leave to observe that however high other people's notions of government may run, and however much they may be disposed to worship a creature of their own creation, I can by no means consent to lodging too much power in the hands of one person, or suffering an interest in government to exist separate from that of the people, or any man to hold an office for the execution of which he is not in some way or other answerable to that people to whom he owes his political existence. End quote. This mentality most certainly carried over into the drafting of the Constitution, and we should understand the powers of the president in that context. The bottom line is that it is simply unthinkable that the founding generation would allow the president to make law. Last week, I wrote an article arguing that the U.S. has gradually embraced the very system it fought a long, bloody war to escape. The scope of executive power assumed today and the fact that most Americans accept it, at least when their guy is in the White House, pretty much makes my case. We have become that which our founders hated. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Meharry Head. We're another 10 minutes closer to freedom. I really appreciate you listening. If you enjoyed the show, please do me a favor and spread the word. Make sure you head over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Feel free to send me any thoughts or ideas at michael.meharry at 10thamendmentcenter.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.